This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 135, Mythbusters, The Upside-Down Fictional Security of Bonds. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome back to our occasional mini-series on myth-busting and uh, myth-busting the traditional financial planning lies. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Willis, Certified Financial Planner, and uh, today we're going to be doing a little um, review of the CFP textbook. I'm going to dust that off and uh, let you in on some of the training, the insights, the strategies that are taught to us certified financial planners. Uh, now, uh, you know, obviously we want to uh, you know, get into this in detail, so be ready. We are going to get into some detail here, and we'll be, again, busting some myths from what you might have heard from traditional financial planners. I mean, uh, if you're like me. So you hear it all day long that uh, traditional financial planners are telling us, right, that bonds are safer and they're the safe money alternatives to stocks. They're almost like two sides of the same coin. Uh, but we're here to bust that myth. So let's do it. So are bonds really a safe money alternative? Uh, this is going to be an episode for you. If you think uh, that is true, or if you specifically have investable assets of any kind, if you're rethinking that philosophy as you approach um, your retirement or just your generally in your approach to traditional financial planning, uh, it, this is going to be a great episode for you, I too think. If uh, you're expressly interested in safe money alternatives, which is usually the goal of bonds in the first place, and then fourthly, uh, you know, this is a great one for you, I think. If you're more mature and you may have some excess bonds in your portfolio, not sure what to do with them, uh, and believe they're doing a, a, a good conservative job of protecting your money. So, any of those options, I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Now, if you watch any of the average financial media, we're talking about TV shows, YouTube, or read any financial articles or blogs out there, uh, you know just how often they're hammering home this idea of stocks and equities and uh, market investing. For the last 20 years, it was the standard rule of thumb for financial advisors uh, to tell you to get into retail investments, uh, to put your uh, money into investments with a blend of stocks and bonds. And oftentimes they'll do what's called the 60-40 rule, 60% of your money in stocks and 40% of your money in bonds. It was presumed for many years, really generations, uh, to provide the best of both worlds, combining the potential for growth with the protection uh, against market crashes if stock prices fell. So that guidance wasn't just peddled by banks and financial advisors either. If you look at any target date fund, uh, that's going to be the popular default investment option in your retirement savings account. Uh, typically, they're going to invest younger workers mostly in equities or stocks and gradually move you to that 60-40 split as you get closer to retirement. So that is the 60-40 rule. You know, recently I saw a frequently run commercial on a major mutual fund and ETF provider, uh, which, you know, this commercial was sandwiched neatly in between political ads, of course, this time of year, um, being a, an election year as we record this. In this commercial, they promoted the asset allocation 
uh, as the key to successful wealth accumulation. So what is that again? They promoted asset allocation as the most important successful key to wealth accumulation. What the heck is asset allocation? Well, they said in this super short 30-second commercial that a proper asset allocation was 60% in equities and 40% in bonds adjusted slightly for age and your risk and current market dynamics. I mean, wow, that that's awesome. You know, in a 30-second commercial, they finally got to the bottom of the truth of how to absolutely be sure that we can never run out of money in our retirement years. Thank you, whoever that whoever made that commercial for finally making it clear and distilling the complexity of stocks and bonds to a 30-second uh, clip. Now, okay, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. Of course, the commercial didn't figure this out. But the 60-40 split has really been a long, around a long time. That 60-40 rule, um, you know, the proponents of this rule argue, makes sense. In a world where stocks and bonds are negatively correlated, that's the, the fancy term, that just means they react opposite uh, to the same news event, okay? So bond returns go up when st- stock prices fall, and bonds serve as sort of a hedge against stock falling stock prices, and stocks were a hedge against inflation. So if you've never heard of that 60-40 rule, you know, maybe you've been exposed to another rule of thumb in the investment world, the average investment world, uh, called the 100 minus age rule. So this rule is suggesting that your stock exposure should, you know, in your portfolio should be 100 minus your age. So for example, using this rule, if you were 40 years old, you would have 100 minus 40 or 60% of your money in stocks. By age 65, you would have reduced this to 100 minus 65 or 35% and a 70-year-old would have a 30% allocation to stocks in the market. In technical terms, this is sometimes called a declining equity glide path. Okay, so imagine an airplane slowly coming down to landing uh, as you age, 100 minus your age rule. Which way is the best? 100 minus your age or the 60-40 rule? Well, we wouldn't know unless we put it to the test. And thankfully, you live in the future and you listen to this podcast and the research has already been done for you. So academics have researched how well this 100 minus age rule will deliver and compared it to other options. They compared it even to the 60-40 rule, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and rebalancing that portfolio annually, or using even something called the rising equity glide path, where you enter retirement with a high allocation to bonds and spend those bonds while letting your stocks grow. That was the third option that they researched. And the research was done by none other than the popular research investment uh, planner, Wade Fowle, and Michael Kitsis, who uh, looked at the poor stock market in the years after 1966. So they looked at like what would happen in a bad stock market to decide which of those three strategies, the rising, the declining, or the 60-40 strategy would do the best. And they found out that the declining uh, equity glide path or the 100 minus your age approach delivered the worst outcomes of all the options they tested, leaving you out of money 30 years uh, out of uh, 30 years after retirement. Now, no doubt that you're hearing all these rules of thumb and trying to remember how many thumbs you even have, right, for all these rules of thumb for retirement planning. Whether we're conscious of these rules or not, we are exposed to them. Even if you've never heard of either of these and you're wondering what this guy and his 
podcast is talking about. You better believe the guy managing your money or gal managing your money knows these rules of thumb and are using them on your money. And honestly, even if you just simply have a 401k at work and you have the default investment option called a target date fund inside your 401k. So if you didn't choose anything, but just signed up for your 401k when you got your job, you've got one of these rules in force in your retirement future. This will impact you. So even if you just have a target date fund in your retirement account, you're exposing yourself to what could amount to a losing strategy with your retirement funds. But where do these rules come from? You know, it's important to ask that question. Why do they have some claim on your money? And are they carved in stone? Did they come down from some mountain? I mean, what about you? I mean, it's your money, your future after all. What do you think? Do you think bonds are really the safe money alternative to the stock market? Maybe. I mean, after all, bonds have been enjoying a 25-year bull market. Uh, What with the historic drop in interest rates that we've had uh, over the last generation? As interest rates have fallen over the last few decades, investors have really enjoyed this opportunity to gain in principle. So I want to talk, explain, I guess, a little bit about how bonds uh, work very quickly. Remember that bond prices improve as interest rates fall. So it's easy to understand how you might assume bonds have a little or no risk. You know, remember that Finance 101 says that when interest rates fall, the value of the bond goes up. And when interest rates go up, the worth of your bond in your retirement account drops. So the key question driving bond investors is, where are interest rates headed in the future? Where are these interest rates headed in the future? And the answer to that question will dramatically impact you or anybody who has that 401k or IRA, even if you're just investing in index funds or target date funds. So Why do interest rates go up in the first place? Think of interest rates as the risk that the bank is taking when they loan money out to somebody else. The higher the risk, the more they have to ask in loan interest to help you or the bank in this case, help the bank feel comfortable taking on that risk. It's why you put your money in a safe safe savings account for 0% interest, but you demand 5%, 7%, or even Dave Ramsey's 12% in the stock market, right? Why do you expect the stock market to give you more return than the savings account? It's because you know inherently that the stock market has more risk than the bank savings account does. It's the same reason why a bank would loan one borrower 10,000 bucks at 2%, while the next borrower with poor credit history and a bankruptcy might get that same 10,000 bucks at 18% interest. It has to do with risk, with risk. And bonds are kind of like loans. The lender gives money to the borrower and expects that money back plus interest. The riskier the borrower, the higher the interest rate on that bond. So back to our question, the key question, are interest rates likely to go up in the next five to 10 years? Or are they gonna stay the same? Or could they even go down or even negative? Well, they can't go down much further. I mean, we're already close to 0%. And with our nation's need for increased social services due to our aging demographic, it's really going to be hard. Uh, Well, and our increased national debt at record highs, it seems logical that rates are more likely going to go up than to stay level or fall negative. The borrower is looking less and less likely that they're going to make good on their debts. 
That's the key here. The borrower is looking less and less likely that they can make good on their debts. So do you want to put your money into something right at the top of the price just before it tanks? Does the average financial media just not see this? I think that they see it, but I think they're incentivized to keep to the party line. The, you know, is there a bias, maybe, in the media in putting you in bonds and stocks when we're in a very mature bull market for both stocks and bonds? I mean, as we say on our podcast here, I don't want to be average. I want to be awesome. So how can you know what's most likely to happen with interest rates? Like so many things in life, it all starts with education. Most people don't realize that bond prices and interest rates are inversely correlated. Boy, that's a, a mouthful. But that's, uh, that just means in plain English that as interest rates go up, bond principal values go down. And the opposite is true as well. When interest rates go down, bond principles go up. So I know that's a mind bender, but realize if you don't understand the basic relationship between overall interest rates and bond principal values, you might unknowingly be exposing your money, your future, to unnecessary and significant unnecessary risk. So here's an easy way to remember how bonds and interest rates work. Let's say that you bought a smartphone this year. The price is at its highest when it's brand new. Right? There's no sales, no deals going on. But then next year, a newer, nicer model comes out, and that means your existing smartphone will become less valuable. That's like when interest rates go up in the future. Any old bond, like the old model bond uh, that you have in your portfolio with that low interest rate from the old years is going to look less valuable to somebody who might want to buy it from you than the new stuff that might have higher interest rates coming out this year that newer bond model coming out this year with that higher, juicier interest rate, people are going to be less likely to buy the bond off your back. On the flip side, imagine you bought a smartphone last year and then the new model comes out this year, but there's this, maybe there's a major security leak in the new model or all the screens keep breaking. Your older model that you bought last year is going to become more rare as a commodity and new buyers are going to be looking for that. So your, your old smartphone might actually become more valuable if you sold it now than when you originally bought it, since the old is better than the new in this case, right? So if interest rates go down this year, that's less money, that's less money for the new bond investor to earn on this year's model. So they'll be looking for the old stuff, last year's model, meaning the value of your bond in your pocket is going to be worth more this year than it was last year. That's one easy way to remember how that works. So can you control interest rates? <laughs> you know, if your name is Jerome Powell and you run the Federal Reserve, go to the front of the class. But for the rest of us, uh, no, we cannot. We cannot control interest rates. That means we're exposed to something with our money that we cannot control, even in the safety of bonds in our portfolio. So repositioning assets away from bonds to true safe money insurance strategies uh, is the name of the game. And we'll be talking about that here in just a few minutes. Now, something else to keep in mind is the long, every bond comes with sort of a deadline of when the debt or the bond has to be paid. And the longer out into the future is that deadline, the larger the impact of the principal is to interest rates. So we'll be showing you in our chart here on our show notes something that you'd want to become familiar with. As the chart shows in our show notes, uh, a 1% increase in interest rates can result in a loss of 7.8% or more 
of your principal on a 10-year bond, and a 2% increase in rates translates into a loss of almost 15% or more of that same 10-year bond. So the longer the yield to maturity, the longer the deadline out into the future, the greater the risk you have in your portfolio. So again, looking at that chart, clearly bonds are not safe from volatility, especially when the central bank, the Federal Reserve, can make a choice with a vote. You know, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, they make a vote, right? Or wherever they meet this year, they're making a vote on your money. They're voting on what's going to happen to your money. The Federal Reserve voted three times last year in 2019 to change the interest rates, each time to lower your bond's value. You know, just like that. I mean, who do they think they are? Imagine if the stock market value was going to go up or down based on the votes of a dozen stockbrokers who just votes, right, on the value of Apple stock. And value of your portfolio gets vaporized because somebody decided to raise their hand at the wrong time, right, rather than letting the market decide. So how much money do you have in bonds? Do you know? If not, check right now. (laughs) Take a look. Your portfolio probably has a lot of bonds in them even if it's not listed as such in your 401k. Again, target date funds have bonds built and baked right on in. Now, at this point, you might be throwing up your hands and saying, you know, I just don't like the system. Honestly, Mark, I don't like it. You're right. But what can we do? That's all we have. We have to put our money somewhere. And boy, I totally agree with that. You know, we may be stuck riding that roller coaster of the stock market with our stocks, and our bonds are stuck under the thumb of the Federal Reserve, you might say with their board meetings and bond interest rates. And that's sometimes all that folks think they can do is just sort of blindly move forward and hope and pray for the best. Well, I always say hope and prayer is not a strategy. And we have to find a better way, right? What if I told you there were better ways? What if I told you there was an alternative strategy that didn't have the risks that come with both stocks and bonds? If you'd be interested in that, keep listening. So in addition to the volatility of bond values noted in in the chart on our show notes and the fluctuation in bond values, there's three other factors I want to quickly mention about the risks baked right into bonds. One, the lower your coupon yield on the bond, the larger the impact of interest rates. Number two, the lower the quality of the bond, the larger the impact. And three, zero coupon bonds generally have the largest risk of all different bond types, okay? So for more on that, dig deeper into it. But uh, for sake of our simplicity of our episode, we're going to have to keep moving. But those are three factors that have big impacts on your bond portfolio. One important note, individually held bonds are not affected by interest rate movements if you can hold them all the way to maturity. But individually held bonds have a risk all their own. They can be called. What does that mean? If a bond is called, it typically means interest rates have come down and the issuer of the bond can borrow money at a lower rate. So what does that mean? Well, if you've ever refinanced high interest credit cards to a lower interest credit card or even a 0% credit card, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you consolidated and refinanced your student loans after you graduated. You sort of speak, you called the bonds in effect, right? So, you know, you got a better deal down the street and you lowered your interest rate and maybe even your monthly payments on your debt. Now, that's great news for you as the borrower, but the student loan company or the credit cards won't get that higher interest rate they were expecting. Now, flip the table, switch the tables. Now, you're the bank, right? You're the bank. And when the bond gets called, they're taking their business away from you and taking it to someone else who could offer them a lower interest rate down the street. 
when the issuer calls a bond, they're buying back that bond. If you then try to reinvest your money uh, while you're in this low or lower interest rate environment that we're all in right now, you likely won't be able to earn as good a rate of return as you would have had in the bond that was called. This is called reinvestment rate risk, reinvestment rate risk. And for you or many of our sophisticated clients, they're beginning to see that some of these proven safe strategies that we talk about on our podcast could be a smart alternative to bonds and bond fund investing. So with all the inherent risks that I just laid out for you in this episode, it's likely going to make some sense to transfer the risk to an insurance company, uh, which is what whole life insurance contracts do so well. By the way, if you want to get some more individual insights or if you have questions on our explanation of bonds here, if you want a strategy session to see if your numbers would grow predictably in a way that you can actually see and control without people voting on it or the market vaporizing, I'd love to set up a time to talk with you, to do an analysis with you on your current financial situation. Uh, we can help determine exactly what is the appropriate amount of money that should be allocated towards safe money alternatives to help you guarantee some growth without unnecessary risk. It all comes down to your circumstances, your story. So reach out to us at 1-800-962-9141, or you can schedule an appointment with us at nyafinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. So I want to get into a new chapter in this episode. These are going to be three safe money alternative to bonds if you want guaranteed growth without unnecessary risk. So the first of the three strategies, one, recurring premium whole life insurance. So again, that's recurring premium whole life insurance. So this is a whole life insurance policy that you add more money to every month or every quarter or every year. And as you pay those premiums, your underlying cash value is gonna increase. Over time, the compounding of these increases, especially when dividends are paid, can add some significant wealth to your portfolio. Now, if you need cash, right, and who doesn't occasionally have that medical emergency or that real estate opportunity, we all need access to capital for different reasons. Now, if you need cash and you have bonds in your portfolio, uh, the only way to get the money out is to either to access the coupon payment, which is a relatively small monthly or annual payment from the bond, or you have to sell the bond to get access to your cash. So you could also benefit from the ease of access to your funds if you need money in the whole life insurance contract because they're at extremely competitive interest rates uh, and you can liquidate all as a withdrawal or 90% as a loan from the whole life policy to spend on anything you want. And as you approach or enter retirement, you can withdraw that money on a tax-free basis under current law. It's great. It's absolutely great knowing that when you access the money in the policy, every penny can be yours without the need to share it with the IRS, as you'd have to do with bond payments or tax-deferred products like 401ks. Also, when you pass away, your beneficiaries are going to receive a tax-free death benefit of everything that's left in the policy, which is way more than you put in there on a guaranteed basis. Also, with recurring premium whole life insurance, there's no reinvestment rate risk, as we talked about with bonds, as you're, insure, like, as you're purchasing a whole life insurance policy. There's no dollar cost averaging, which is another Wall Street investment myth, uh, where you're buying when the market gets too hot and you're buying when the market's tanking. You know, that's the dollar cost averaging myth, which we might have to dive deeper into another day. 
But because the cash value is guaranteed to accumulate and increase in value each and every year, and those gains that you received last year are guaranteed to stay with you this year, uh, you don't have to worry about reinvestment rate risk or dollar cost averaging uh, fiascos. You also have the privilege of relying on the sophistication of a team of certified financial analysts and bond investors to help you grow and protect your portion of the insurance company's portfolio that you own. Remember, this is a mutual life insurance company, meaning that you and I and everybody who has a contract with the insurance company are, in essence, co-owners of that general fund. It's not just a big bond fund. You know, we're in the insurance business. That's the pool of funds. You know, it's a business model, not a portfolio necessarily. It's the insurance model. It's a business model that's been proven profitable for over 160 years. Okay. So that's the first step is recurring premium whole life insurance. Number two strategy for safe money alternatives is fixed yearly rate annuities guaranteed multi-year rate annuities, and indexed annuities. They're all safe money alternatives. Now, annuities, when you follow the rules, the insurance company guarantees you will not lose any money in any of these type of annuities. Annuities have strong guarantees based on the claims-paying ability of the insurance company. Many annuities offer the opportunity to earn significant interest, and some annuities also give you the valuable living benefits as well, such as helping you pay for nursing home care or chronic care expenses. And some annuities may be accessed tax-free, similar to a Roth IRA, or tax-deferred, as in a traditional IRA. And others grow tax-free, but the withdrawals might be taxed, similar to like a CD or a brokerage account. So the tax treatment of an annuity depends on really where it was set up, whether it was in a qualified IRA or a non-qualified brokerage account. For example, so there's some powerful strategies to protect your money again in the annuities because, you know, once again, the guarantees are coming from the insurance company that backs it. Number three, single premium whole life insurance. This may be an excellent vehicle to consider, you know, as an alternative to bonds. A lot of our clients make a choice to reallocate from bonds to single premium life insurance. And with this, you make one payment. And depending on your age and health, I mean, the death benefit might start out at at least two times your contribution, your premium. So if you put in, for example, 50,000 bucks, your death benefit could be 100,000 bucks or more. So that means, you know, maybe you pass away the next week, God forbid, you know, your beneficiaries would receive 100 grand twice or more the amount you paid in. Tell me, tell me, what kind of bond would do that, right? What kind of stock would do that? What, what else could do that? Anything. With properly structured policies, your cash value in the policy can equal the one-time premium you make within just about two to four years. If you want to see the numbers of one of these policies, or if this is intriguing to you, look at episode 91 uh, called The Single Premium Solution. Giant piles of cash, The Single Premium Solution. Be aware that withdrawals of gains, if there are any gains in the policy at that point, Uh, on a single premium policy are going to be taxed as ordinary income and cash values of gains before age 59 and a half would be subject to a 10% penalty. So in this way, it's actually in your advantage to be older when you get this kind of life insurance. A lot of folks say, well, I'm too old to do bank on yourself type policies. And I say, well, there's a kind of whole life that's actually better when you're older. So take a look at that and let me know what you think. So what are some takeaways from today's episode? Well, number one, I recommend you challenge the conventional wisdom of Wall Street. If you're, you know, looking at your portfolio and you look at your investment advisor and you say, hey, 
you know, this guy's asleep at the wheel. If he's putting you in a blend of stocks and bonds, it may be time to take over and drive, you know. Uh, Take a look at your own portfolio. Review it or have us review it with you. We actually have some sophisticated software that we have just started using with our clients uh, that allows us to look at your risk score and compare it to your portfolio. How does your actual belief about risk compare to where your money is today? And is it truly lining up with your goals and objectives? You know, so imagine a speed limit. If your internal speed limit is 40 out of 100, but your portfolio is 92 out of 100, something's a whack there. So we would love to look at that with you. So reach out to us if you'd like us to run those scenarios and see your exact risk score. To get your risk score, just reach out to us uh, by going to nyafinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting and mention in the notes of your appointment that you'd like to know your risk score. Number two, takeaway from today's episode, run the numbers with us. Determine if the value of using these strategies of bank on yourself type whole life policies, including life insurance and annuity strategies that I mentioned, might round out your portfolio and lower the financial risk you're exposed to. I have found, back to that software again, I have found that if we add some whole life insurance, uh, you can keep some money in the stock market, but by blending it with a whole life policy, you're dropping, tremendously dropping the risk or the amount of money you might lose if a market tanks. And it even gives you the chance to take more risk with the money you still have in the stock market if you want that. So when you know how much risk you're carrying, you'll be in a better position to manage the risk in ways that better suit your needs. You'll go through life with more confidence that you're making the right choices with your money that put you in control. So you don't have to be a sophisticated bond investor to own the protection that you deserve. You just need to own a bank on yourself type policy to do that. So when you know for sure, absolutely certain that you will know exactly what you will have and what you're going to have and need as a guaranteed minimum in retirement uh, in the policy on the day you plan to tap into it, you can sip some iced tea, take that nap, because when you wake up, that money's still going to be there. So that's our content for today's show. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you found it uh, enjoyable. If you did, please let us know. Leave us a five-star review. We want to know. You know, we take your advice when we uh, get feedback from you. So I do have some feedback, a listener shout out. This is sure shish one. Boy, that's a, sorry for the, you know, the, the mangling of your username there, but uh, sure shish one says logical and insightful. Mark and Holly host guests from a wide variety of backgrounds and demonstrate how financial security provides a base for people to achieve their life goals while maintaining a fulfilling life along the journey. Excellent content. Well, thank you very much. And whoever you are, I love the name and I love the comments. So thank you very much. And for those of you who'd like to participate in our show and and really even bring your voice to our show, we need your feedback by April 19th, 2020. So that's coming up here before you know it. And the sooner the better. Uh, Don't wait to the last minute because I want to make sure we can get your thoughts on this question. The question of the month is, what does a realistic budget look like? Have you seen unrealistic budgets? Have you done one before maybe? What does realistic mean even? Uh, So what does a realistic budget look like? That's our question of the month. And please do leave us a voicemail by going to speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. 
speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. That link is in our show notes. And we'll send you a free copy of Pamela Yellen's book, Rescue Your Retirement, if you can get that to us before April 19th. Just a 10-second, 30-second message to us would be tremendously valuable for us as we prepare our notes for that show. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about bonds, about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.